Today, I've got a message of hope for someone. I've got a message that I believe can change someone's life. Many times in services like these and in messages, we talk about what we can do for God. And we are, we are to serve God, to live our life according to his will and purpose for our life. And so we are to do and live for him. But today I want to talk about what God can do for you. But in order to allow God to do for you what only he can do for you, it requires without word, just, it requires obedience to the word that just came forth for someone to take a step of faith, to take a step of faith and dine at the master's table. Amen. If you have your Bibles, if you turn to the book of Genesis chapter 16. And you can be seated today. We've been standing for a while. We have a lengthy portion of scripture we're going to read today. If you get to the book of Genesis, we're going to start at verse 1. In chapter 16, if you're there, say amen. Also, I want to say before we get into the word, Robin, who Brother Darren talked about that was baptized Sunday, uh, she is with us today online, watching online. So Robin, uh, we love you. We're so thankful for what God's doing in your life. There's a lot of people here that are cheering you on. Amen. Let's start at verse 1. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had a handmaiden, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain child by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. Ten years is a long time. Ten years they had dwelt there waiting for the promise, and they put matters into their own hands. And it says in verse 4 that he went in unto Hagar. And she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid unto thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord's judge between me and thee. But Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thine hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dwelt hardly with her, she fled from her face. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way of Shur. And she said, Hagar. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence comest thou, and whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress Sarai. 
And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress, and submit thyself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed, Hagar, exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child and shalt bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord that spoke unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Wherefore the well was called Berlaoi. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Berid. And Hagar bare Abram a son, and Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. And Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. Verse 13 says that Hagar said, Thou God seest me. It's what she called the angel of the Lord. Thou God seest me. It's in the original Hebrew that says, El Royi. El Royi. Thou God seest me. When she was standing there, seeing the angel of the Lord, she said, El Royi. God sees me. And I'm here to tell you today that God sees you. God sees you today. God sees you. Turn to someone next to you and say, God sees me. Turn to someone else and say, God sees you. God sees you today. In fact, no one likes to feel invisible. Brother Jacob in our Sunday school lesson here in the auditorium spoke about being seen and being invisible. And I'm here to reinforce this fact that no one actually genuinely, truthfully likes to always feel invisible. When I was a kid, we would ask the question, and maybe you've asked this to others, what superpower would you prefer to have? Would you like to be able to fly or be invisible? Of course, there's only one right answer to that. It's to fly. Who wants to be invisible? Overall, we like to be visible. That's why, as I speak today, there are over 1.1 billion TikTok users, 2.4 billion Instagram users. There's just short of 3 billion active Facebook users. On average, there are more than 5 billion snaps created daily on Snapchat. That says a lot about our culture. It says this, that we like to be seen. We like to feel significant. We, we like to be heard. And if you are not on any social media platform, if you're someone today that's saying, I don't like to be seen, there are times when you like to be seen. Have you ever been in traffic and you're trying to cross traffic? And there's no way that you feel you can cross traffic 
And the person that you're looking at is looking straight ahead. You need to break through the line, but they are not breaking their focus. They don't want to look at you. They don't want to allow you in. It's in that moment that you want them to look at you. You want to be seen because you've got places to go. You've got things to do. All of us want to be seen sometimes. In our story today, we, we discuss several characters, one of which is Abram. And we like to talk about Abram, who would later be called Abraham. And Abraham is a important, he's an important figure in the Bible. Scriptures say he would be a father of many nations. He is the great example of faith to us. He's called the father of faith in Romans 4 and 16. He is someone who is a believer in the voice of God, who followed after the voice of God, who was obedient to the word of God. He's someone who is a great example for us. Genesis 15, 6 says, speaking of him, that he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. Abraham is someone who is significant. Abraham is visible. He's very visible. We talk about him a lot. We preach about him. We, he comes up in conversation. Abram, who would be Abraham, is very visible and significant. And his wife, Sarai, later called Sarah, is also important. She is listed among him in the hallmark of faith in Hebrews 11. In fact, Hebrews 11, 11 says that through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Sarah is significant. She became the first lady of faith. And it was in her womb that the power of God came forth and delivered a child. Abraham and Sarah become a picture of the power of God. And so it's easy to see why we look at them and we, we, we celebrate them and we, we preach about them, as I said. We speak about them in conversation. We have Bible studies about them and their great faith. And we can look back and see the significance of who they were. They are central figures to this Bible that we, that we read that is our, our bread, our daily bread. They are easy to recognize because they are very visible and very significant. But today I want us to look at another woman in our story. To many, she is not a major character in the Bible, but rather a minor character. And her name is Hagar. Hagar is not amongst the hallmark of faith. In fact, she is not often recognized or talked about. She was not a woman of influence and power. She was not a woman of authority. She was not a rich woman. She was not an educated woman. She probably would not even be mentioned in this Bible if it wasn't for those major characters making a poor decision. And she had to, to come onto the scene. Hagar, in fact, is a slave. Of course, we know in our culture today, we celebrate that all have value and that everyone is significant and that, that everyone uh, is, is someone of value. But Hagar in this culture, she was a slave to Sarai. She was Sarai's handmaid. And at some point along the journey, Abram and Sarai had purchased Hagar. And in buying her, they brought her into a situation 
where she was serving and she was living in a state of invisibility. She was an invisible person. Someone that most would not deem significant. Not someone that you would talk about often. Someone that is not a very visible character. But one day, Sarai, her owner was thinking, how can I give Abram a child? I can't have a child. I'm barren. The promises came. And year after year, I, I live my life, and I cannot give to my husband what God has promised. I cannot supply what I feel like I should be able to give. And I believe that for years, months, days, she lived her life in maybe feeling worthless. Maybe even herself feeling invaluable. Feeling like she could not offer what she needed to offer. And she did what we are not to do in those moments when we don't feel it, when we don't see it. She made a decision that was outside of that promise that God had given her. And before I really get going, I want to encourage somebody that has heard the promise of God. You have felt the presence of God over your life and heard the voice of God over your life and it just has not happened yet. Don't take a step out of that promise. Don't live your life outside of that will that God has for you. Don't take measures into your own hands. Because if God made a promise, he is faithful to fulfill that promise. If God gave you a word, it may have been given to you 10 years ago. It may have been given to you 20 years ago. It may have been given to you last week. I'm here to remind you that God is faithful to his promises. And whether it's been a long time or not, God will fulfill what he has promised. But Sarai took matters into her own hand, and she decides to give Hagar to Abram for the purpose of producing a child in Genesis 16.3. And it says that Sarai gave Hagar. She didn't come to a decision, a mutual agreement with Hagar. Remember, Hagar is her slave. She gave, somebody say gave, gave Hagar to Abram. Hagar was her property. Hagar didn't have the power to make the decision. Hagar, remember, was a slave. And when you find yourself in a position where you cannot control your own destiny, where you cannot control your own outcomes, when you feel like you cannot control your own actions, you are a slave. And you can be enslaved to many things. You can be enslaved to an addiction or to a habit. You can be enslaved to a false image of yourself that suppresses your potential. You can be enslaved to a mindset or a way of thinking that skews the re your reality. You can be a slave. A slave is anyone 
who has lost their power. A slave is someone who does not see hope around the corner. Someone who feels like they are, they are who they are. They don't like who they are. They don't want to be who they are. But they don't feel like they can do anything about it. And Hagar had to sleep with the man, whether she wanted to or not, because she was a slave. It wasn't Hagar's idea. It wasn't even Abram's idea. After a decade in Canaan, Canaan, waiting for the promise of a child, Sarai put someone else's life put someone else's life and their future in jeopardy. And she puts her slave's life in the hands of Abram. It was a misguided attempt to induce God's promise through human effort. And it says that he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she, speaking of Hagar, saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid unto thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord's judge between me and thee. So now Sarai is despised in Hagar's eyes. And Sarai blames Abram from the strife between the two women. I would hate to be in Abram's shoes in this moment. The contention was so bad. So bad between the women that Abram turns Hagar back over to Sarai and says, do to her as it pleaseth thee. And it tells us that Sarai dealt hardly with her. She dealt hardly with this slave, with her handmaid. And it tells us that Hagar fled from her face. So Sarai finds herself in a messed up situation because of her own decision. Hagar finds herself in a messed up world because of the decision of another. And the reality is, is that we go, all go through times in our lives that feel unbearable. And they feel miserable. They feel like we don't have a way out. A lot of times those, are, those moments are because of decisions that we make. Because of things that we sow into our life. And now we're reaping what we had sown. And so now we are in a miserable condition, in a miserable state, or there's just a, our life at this point is not what we planned on it becoming. It is not what we foresaw happening to us because of poor decision making and because of things that we've allowed into our life. But also there are some times that we get caught in the aftermath of someone else's poor judgment. We get caught in the aftermath of someone's actions. And, and, and we find ourselves enslaved. And we find ourselves hopeless. And we find ourselves miserable. Because of someone else. And now Hagar is living in a world created. By the consequences of someone else's action. She is a slave. And after Sarai deals harshly with Hagar. Hagar flees into the wilderness, it tells us. 
Hagar now, hurt, despised, is running. She's running because those over her, those who had authority over her, had hurt her, had made her feel worthless. She was invisible. She was just a pawn in the scheme. She was just the bystander that now is on the front lines, that now has to run. She is running from Sarai. She is running from a messed up situation. She is running from the pain. And I'm here to tell you that if you are running, you can only run so long before God sees you. Verse 7 tells us that the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the water in the way of Shur. And I'm just thankful on this Sunday morning that when I've ran, God found me. I'm thankful that God does not give up on us when we run away. That God does not does not cut himself off from us when we turn away from him and we run on. God sees us right where we are at. He sees what's going on. It doesn't matter how far you've run. God will find you. And God sent an angel after a slave. I know. I know why he found Abraham. I know why he called Abraham out. For God called him that he would be a father and told him that he would be a father of many nations. And I know why in our New Testament we read of people like Peter, James, and John, and the other disciples. I know why he called them from their past life into a new life, because they were going to change their world. They were going to turn their world upside down. God saw potential in them, and God called them. I know why he found a man named Saul and changed his destiny and changed his name to Paul, for he was to be the apostle to the Gentiles. I know why he found those people and wow, and why he changed those people and because there was great potential there and there was great things that were going to be accomplished but I have to ask myself a question why did he find Hagar she was only a slave and if God chose to find Hagar it must mean that there is more to Hagar than what meets the eye. It must mean that she had significance. It must mean that she was not worthless. It must mean that she had a future. It must mean that God sees differently maybe than what man, how man sees. It must mean that she was very significant. That she was visible to God. He found her because she had value. He found her because God created her in her mother's womb. He found her because he loved her. He found her because she was carrying destiny inside of her. He found her because she was carrying legacy inside of her. And when you have destiny inside of you, and when you have legacy inside of you, it's not, it's not what's, uh, what's, what's, on the outside of you and what's important it's what's deep down on the inside 
of you that God sees. God sees beyond what man sees. God sees what is inside of you. God sees you not just the way you are today, but he sees who you are to become tomorrow. God sees you. And Hagar may have been invisible to others, but she was very visible to God. It says that the angel of the Lord found her in verse 7. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence camest thou? And whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress. Sorry, and the angel of the Lord sent her to return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, and it shall be numbered for Multitude And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he will be a wild man, and his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord that spoke unto her, Thou God seest me. And I'm here to tell you today that God sees you. God sees you this this Sunday morning. He sees your destiny and he sees your potential. God sees what he put inside of you. And you may be running today. You may be on the run. You may be here in the building, but on the inside, you're running away from God. You're running away from his purpose. You're running away from his word. I'm here today to tell you that God still sees you even if you are running away. God still sees you even if you are fleeing from his presence. God still sees you. In John 4, he saw a Samaritan woman who was thirsty, and he offered her living water so she would never thirst again. In John 8, he saw an adulterous woman who was condemned to death by her accusers, and he showed her compassion. Luke 18 tells us that he saw a blind man, and he opened his eyes so he could see. In Luke 19, Jesus saw a cheating tax collector named Zacchaeus up in a sycamore tree, and it tells us that salvation came to Zacchaeus' house that day. I'm thankful, I'm thankful, I'm thankful, I'm thankful, I'm thankful that God saw me. He saw me when I was running. He saw me when I was here in the building but I was much I was really far away from him I wasn't living for him but God still saw me God saw me and it doesn't matter how you are living today God sees you and God loves you God has compassion for you he has mercy for you it doesn't matter how you walked into this place it doesn't matter how you saw yourself leaving this place I'm here to remind you that God sees you and God loves you Elroy he she said, God sees me. Elroy E, God sees me. He sees me for who I am, and he sees me for who I am to be. Elroy E, God sees me. I wish someone today would just say those words with me. Elroy E, God sees me. God sees me. He sees me. He sees you. It doesn't matter if no one else sees you. It doesn't matter if no one else knows what's going on inside of you. God sees you. 
He sees what's happening on the inside. He sees your hurt. He sees your pain. He sees your loneliness. He sees your anxiety. He sees your depression. He sees the wrestling match which is going on in your life. He sees that you're in the building, but really in your heart you're outside the building. He sees you right where you are at, and He loves you so much. And He sees beyond the condition of your current day. He sees beyond that because He created you for so much more and He does not make junk. God makes good things. He is a master builder, a good potter, and you are His vessel. And God is still working on somebody in this room today. God, I believe it is working in someone's life today. All you've got to do is step out of the condition of where you've been and dine at the table of the Lord. Step in to that, into that place where God can meet your need. Because He wants to today. He wants to. God is not far away from you. He is very close. He is very close. And I end with this. And this is a story I've told many times. But I tell it because it's good. And it's a story about a man who fell into a pit. And he could not get himself out. And this man's laying in a pit. And a subjective person comes along and says, I feel for you down in that pit. An objective person came along and said, it's logical that someone would fall down there in the pit. A Pharisee came along and said, only bad people fall into the pit. A news reporter came along and wanted an exclusive story on how he fell in the pit. A fundamentalist came along and said, you deserve that pit. A Christian scientist came along and said, you only think you're in the pit. A Calvinist said, if you would have been saved, you wouldn't have fallen into the pit. A Wesleyan said, you're saved and you still fell in the pit. A charismatic said, just confess you're not in the pit. A Pentecostal said, next time stay away from anything that would cause you to fall into a pit. A realist said, wow, that's a pit. An IRS agent asked if he was paying taxes on the pit. A county inspector asked if he had a special permit to dig the pit. An evasive person came along and avoided the subject of the pit altogether. A geologist told him to appreciate the study, to appreciate and study the rock that was in the pit. A professor gave him a lecture on the elementary principles of the pits. A self-pitying person said, you haven't seen anything until you've seen my pit. A millennial said, don't blame me for you falling into the pit. A Gen Zer asked if they could take a selfie with the man in the pit. An optimist said, things couldn't get worse. And a pessimist said, things are going to get worse. But Jesus came along and saw the man in the pit and reached out his hand and said, come on out of that pit. I'm here to tell you, no matter where you are in life, God is here today. He's, he's reaching out his arms for you. You may be invisible to many others, but you are very visible to God. No one else may know what you're going through, but God sees you this morning. No one else may know the hurt that's inside of you, but God sees that hurt. 
Maybe no one else sees that you're, you're trying to do good, but evil is always present with you. And, and so you're trying, but you're falling short. God sees right where you are today. God sees you today. God sees you, and God loves you. We sing the old song that says, When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. And today, you are still on his mind. You are still on his mind. God died for you. And he raised himself from the dead for you. God truly sees you. If you would stand today. I believe that God will heal you. I believe that God will redeem you. I believe that God will restore you. I believe that God will fill you. I believe that God will do for you what only He can do. But the only way He can do what only He can do is if you do what only you can do. And what you can do is give yourself completely over to Him and say, God, have your way in me. God, have your way in me. And without a lot of fanfare, without a lot of, of, of prodding, I, I want to open up these altars today. And if there's anyone that has a need in your life, I know that God, can, God sees you, first of all. God loves you, and God will touch you. If you have something going on in your life today that no one knows about, that's okay. God knows. God sees. But God is looking for someone who will take that step of faith, respond to the Word of God, and say, God, here I am. Have your way in me. And so I'm going to open up this altar, this front, and I'd invite us all to come forward and all of us to seek the face of God because God does see you. And God sees beyond the condition of your life today and God sees your future. God sees who you are to become. God sees who you are on the other side of your obedience to Him. And I would encourage you not to underestimate this moment for tomorrow is not promised tonight is not promised this is the most important moment of your life this next step is the most important step you will ever take take that step of faith today because God sees you God loves you